Well, it is my pleasure once again to invite uh, Mason Sherrill up from Calvary Church. He was here last week, so thank you, Mason, uh, for being here again this week. Well, good morning, Faith Baptist. It is good to see you again and to be here. And as the sun shines in, it is good to enjoy the fellowship of presence and all of the joy that comes with gathering together with God's people to sing songs of worship, to, to gather together, to be joined together. And it just warms my heart, and I hope that you are as excited to be here uh, as I am. But one of the more difficult things I think about living in the world is these places even put it in more stark contrast for us, is that the world does not have peace like we experience peace. And for me, that's been one of the more difficult things in the recent years is in the recent times, is just seeing the rise of anger, seeing the rise of violence and the discord in our world around us. I mean, we see this even in, in sports. We see this as rivalries become foes and foes become enemies. And we see fights break out that go beyond just the emotions of the game. We see fan bases fighting and calling names. We see Every sphere of our world, it being filled with strife and filled with stress, people being angry and upset, seeing families divided, seeing people in discord. And yet I think that even in the midst of a world that is like that, and even how we can experience that as we engage with the world or at times in our own life, we know deep down in humanity our souls long for peace. We long for peace. And while the world's idea of peace is much different than our understanding of peace, we know that everyone is longing for true peace. In the world, they may define peace as an absence of conflict or Maybe just being in agreement, we can have peace as long as you believe like I believe. Peace lays in the realm of circumstances. What's going on around me is determining of if I have peace or not. But biblical peace is so much more about the concept of presence. God's presence with us and the assurance of a relationship with him that cannot be altered by circumstances. Even death. For he is Lord over death and he is everlasting peace. And so today we have the opportunity to look at what God's word has to say to us about peace. About how we experience peace and how we can become peacemakers. So let us pray as we open God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can gather together in the midst of the striving, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the rage of this world, Lord God, that we have this time to come and be in your presence in a special way, that we can come and experience you more deeply, and Lord, that would help us to remain in your peace throughout our weeks. And so, Lord, we just pray as we gather together, would you come and would you illuminate your word to us this morning? 
would you speak to our hearts? Lord, we pray, would you grant us your peace? And Lord, would you let us, through your presence, bring peace to the world around us? Lord, help us this morning to encounter you, that we might be transformed to look more like your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this Sunday, uh, today, marks the second week of Advent, and we are entering this season here at Faith Baptist. Matt had encouraged me to come and approach this season looking at Advent through the lens of the biblical theology of Jesus coming. And so last week, the week of promise or the week of hope, we looked at Genesis chapter 3, which was narrating man's rebellion and God's promise of salvation through the coming offspring of the woman. The central idea of that passage was being found in verse 15, which points us ultimately to Jesus Christ, who is the one who will crush the head of the serpent, Satan. And we were reminded that our true hope is in Jesus Christ. And we saw that our hope in Jesus is reliable because, first, our hope is God-given, is initiated by him. Our hope is in Jesus alone, and our hope is secured for us by God. And as we transition into week two, as we begin the second week of Advent, the week of peace, we get to focus our minds and our hearts again on Jesus coming. We get to do this both through the remembrance of his first coming here on earth, but we also get to do it by anticipation and longing for his second coming. And so here we are today, looking forward to and longing for Jesus' second coming and his everlasting kingdom. So today we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 12, where we get to see even more the promise of this coming Jesus. So if you want to open up with me, we get to see in Genesis 12 the calling of Abraham and the promised offspring that will be a blessing to all nations. And we will see how Jesus is this promise, this promise of peace to us and to all nations. So Genesis chapter 12, I'm just going to read through it and kind of narrate as we go through. So beginning in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Here we see God calling Abram. And our translation has it phrased as go from your country, your people, and your father's household. It's this idea of moving from more broader to more specific things of which he is going to leave, your country, your clan, your father's household. Another rendition of this could be kind of two parts. He needs to leave and he needs to go. There are things he must leave behind to be able to go to what God has for him. And so as it moves from this broader to this more specific, it's this idea of moving from geography to relationship, from identity to desires and loves. It implies this idea of letting go in order to receive. So Abram is to give up all that he holds dearest for an unknown land 
and promise from God. Although the patriarch here, he does not dishonor his heritage, but it will be of no aid to him in answering God's command. The solace of country and family must give way to a higher allegiance. This is the requirement of those who want to enter the kingdom. As Jesus taught, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And so here at the very beginning, we are encouraged that we must leave and go. The story continues on in verse 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Familiar words to us, the, the blessing of Abraham given to us. And we see in here was actually the second kind of command. The first command was to leave and go. We see here the second one. It's a little bit veiled in our translation because it's kind of stated as this, um, kind of imprecisely rendered as this prediction, you will be a blessing. But really, what it says literally is, be a blessing. So as God blesses Abram, it's also the encouragement that he must go and be a blessing to the nations around him. This is larger than just Abram and his descendants. It's to all peoples of the earth or to all nations. And this isn't just a a promise to every person or individual, to every people group in the world that they will be blessed. And what is Abram's response? Verse 4, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew Lot, and the possessions that they had accumulated, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem, and at the time of the Canaanites were in the land. Here we see Abraham's response is a response of obedience, that he responds by obeying what God asked of him. And we see that Lord takes him not to an empty land, but a land that is already filled with people. And we can see that this blessing has immediate purpose for Abram to go and be a blessing to other nations. And then in verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, or your seed, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. I think what's really interesting in this verse is we get this narration of the Lord's appearance to Abraham two times. At the beginning of the verse, and then at the end, standing as bookends to point us to the importance of this middle part of the verse, that to your offspring or your seed I will give this land. And our passage ends, From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Well, here what we see is that Abram builds an altar. He builds an altar to the Lord and he calls on the name of the Lord. He's calling on 
Yahweh, on the personal name of God. This gives us the, the understanding, the idea of both worship and proclamation. Martin Luther described this as Abram worshipped and preached. And so we see here in Genesis 12 that it's a very important passage of Scripture because it begins to unveil God's plan for humanity through Abram. It demonstrates to us the significance of faith and obedience through Abraham's, through Abram's response to God's calling. It teaches us of God's blessing and God's heart for the nations through his blessing. Also, it teaches us about worship and calling upon the name of the Lord. But what I think it does most of all is it reveals God's loving plan to reconcile people to him through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, this passage is often called the passage of the table of nations, proclaiming God's plan to reconcile the world to him, not just Israel. It's God's foreshadowing of Jesus Christ as the offspring of Abram that would negotiate peace between man and God through the cross. And it's understood that this promise of blessing to Abraham and this instruction to go and be a blessing to the world is a promise and instruction that is true for us as Christians today, for you and for me. And so how do we know this? How do we know that this promise of Christ, that this is the promise of Christ and that it applies to us today? Well, we know because Paul tells us so in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul lays all of this out. I'm going to kind of work through Galatians 3 and just read for you the argument that Paul makes here. So I'm going to be highlighting a few of the verses, beginning in verse 6. So Galatians 3, 6 says, Consider Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abram, the man of faith. He, God, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say to and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, 
then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So here we see the connection for Christians today. That through the work of Jesus Christ, we are recipients of the promise to Abraham. So clearly, Genesis 12 is talking about Jesus Christ as this promised offspring who will bring blessing to the world and salvation to the peoples. This means as followers of Christ that we share the promise of blessing with Abraham. And that we also then share in the promise to be a blessing. And that promise to Abraham to be a blessing becomes a promise to us, a challenge to us, an urge to us to go and become a blessing to the world. It's a promise that belongs to us as well. And so what does that mean, though, for us today? What does that mean for us sitting here today when we reflect on Genesis 12 and what Paul has taught us through Galatians 3? Well, as I thought and as I prayed about how this applies to us, what this means for us today, I considered Advent and the power of reflection and anticipation. And then this week, the power of reflection and anticipation of Jesus as our peace. So what does the Abram narrative teach us about how we can experience peace and how we can bring peace to the world? Well, I'm a, a big reader, and I really like to read narratives. I love story. And so almost as soon as I finish a book, I'm already looking for the next one. And sometimes I get in the habit of reading a couple books at the same time. But recently, I was looking for a new book and really wasn't finding anything. And I came across a book that I'd read years ago. And so I just started flipping through the opening pages of it. It's a book called Where the Red Fern Grows. And the story starts out uh, with an older man leaving work and He's coming out. It's just one of those beautiful, perfect days, much like a day we have today. And tumbling out of the alleyway comes this mass of dogs, and there's this huge dog fight. At first, he intends to not pay it any mind or give it any attention, but he notices that it's a really outnumbered uh, fight, and it's about 20 dogs against one. And then his heart stops when he sees the lone dog because it's a red-boned hound, and he remembers his childhood. He remembers the dogs that he had growing up. And so he fights off the, the dog, the pack, and he chases them away. And gently, slowly, he convinces this red-boned hound that he is friend and not foe. And takes the dog home and realizes this dog has been on a great journey. And this dog is clearly headed to somewhere. He sees in the collar the rough sketching of a name that reminds him of a child, and he takes care of it, and he refreshes this dog, he feeds it, and he bathes it, and he rubs out the soreness in its muscles, and he lets it sleep and rest and gives it a safe space, and then he releases it and lets it go on its journey and even leaves the gate open in case it wants to return. 
And on his way back to his house after releasing this dog back uh, on its journey, he grabs a, a few pieces of firewood and goes in and builds a fire. And he, he just mentions in there about how it stirred these emotions in him, seeing this dog. And he thought they would be difficult or sad emotions, but they were joyful ones as he reflected back on his child and he reflected back on his own ownership of two redbone hounds. And I think that that's so true for us as well, that the power of remembrance, the power of reflection, that remembrance helps us to relive, helps sweeten our experience. And so we have a chance this morning to reflect on why Jesus even came into the world the first time. And that's because at one time we were at war with God. We were enemies of God through sin. But listen to some of God's very own words to us about what it means that Jesus came into this world, died on the cross for our sins, and through faith that we can have peace with our Heavenly Father. Isaiah 53, 5 reminds us, But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are healed. We see this same idea in Romans 5, chapter 1, where it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, in Colossians chapter 1, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Ultimately, when we reflect on the peace that we have with God through Jesus, it leads our hearts to worship Him and to call on His name. That's the power of reflection, is we get to remember the peace that we have that so often we may take for granted. And instead, we get to live into it again be refreshed and renewed, and our emotions stirred and fired up in gratitude that we are no longer at war, we are no longer enemies of God, but we have peace with Him through the work of Jesus Christ. And that leads our hearts to worship. So like Abram can lead us to worship and to proclamation, we get to worship and proclaim. Well, last uh, Sunday night, 
we sat down with our kids and we like to do family worship. And so that night our kids were really excited because at school they had put together some little cards for Advent. And so they were very excited to share with us the pictures they'd drawn and the verses they'd written out. And so we began our first night together as a family in Advent in hope. Well, it also got our kids really excited because their aunt had given them chocolate Advent calendars. And so they were all excited to go and to open up these Advent calendars and get their first piece of chocolate uh, as they look forward to, to Christmas. Uh, but last Sunday was November 27th, and an Advent calendar starts on December 1st. So we had to break the news that, well, they had to wait a few more days uh, before they could uh, start on their 24-day Advent calendar and start their chocolates. But something happened in that moment is what I realized is how engaging with something actually increases our longing and anticipation. Right? Our kids were so looking forward to these things and it made me realize kind of some of the value in an advent calendar or some of these things is that it actually grows our longing for Christmas. It grows our anticipation for that day. Each, each piece of chocolate in each open window is one step closer to that coming day. And so it's amazing to me how anticipation is something that blossoms when we engage with it. Can you imagine if we did nothing leading up to Christmas? If there weren't any parties, there weren't any readings, there weren't any conversations, there weren't any Christmas lists, there weren't any shopping lists, we just kind of woke up Christmas morning and tried to celebrate Christmas? It'd be a much hollower form of what Christmas truly is. There is something about engaging with the process along the way that increases and enhances our experience. The best way for us to anticipate is to engage. And so we remember that this Advent season is not just a, a time of reflection or of reflecting on Christ's first coming, but it's also anticipating his second coming. And so I think our passage today also encourages us that we can apply what we're learning here by engaging with this idea of being a blessing. the reality that we have been blessed that we might be a blessing that we have been given peace that we might become peacemakers we cannot separate experiencing peace through christ with proclaiming the gospel of peace and becoming a peacemaker so how do we be a blessing to this world we do it by telling people about Jesus, by introducing them to the only one who can give them peace with God. You see, those in the world will never be able to reconcile with one another as long as they are at war with God. When I think about this, I'm reminded of a, a story I heard from some friends of mine who are in an organization that works throughout the world to spread the gospel. 
and they shared this story from the Middle East, and there was this man, and he, he was coming back from a jihad. And as he got back into his hometown, he happened to see this little whirling dervish of a, a, a little twirling tornado of dust. And to him, it looked like light was shining right down on it, and he saw that inside of it was a piece of paper. And so he walked over to this and he found this little scrap piece of paper and on it was written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And it's just hit him because of what he had just done and what he was coming back from. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. He knew this was from the Bible, but he didn't really know what it meant, and he was just so intrigued, and he wanted to know, what does this mean? And so he was going to different people, asking them to explain it to him, but no one would talk to him. No one would explain it to them, because they knew who he was, and they knew what he did. But by divine providence, he met a couple of men from this organization on a train ride. And so he asked them, what? What does this mean? So they explained the gospel to him. And he came to faith. And he spent several weeks studying with him. And he was so overwhelmed and overcome by the peace that he now had with God, the peace he now had in his life, that he knew that he had to go and to share this with others. So he told them, so the Lord's calling me to go back to share Jesus with these jihadists. And I need you to do three things for me. I need you to pray for me as I go. I need you to teach me what I need to know before I leave. And when they kill me, I need you to take care of my family. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now God may not be calling you to leave your family, to leave your country, to leave your clan, your father's house, to go and share Jesus with some jihadists. However, I imagine that he may be asking you to let go of, to leave behind your pride maybe some of your insecurities, even some of your own personal desires, to go and make peace with those who are far from him. Those in your current life, your family members, your neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates, grocery store clerks, servers. Jesus made peace with you by dying on the cross. Is it too much to ask you to make peace by laying down your desires and insecurities to share the name of Jesus with your neighbor? We have been given peace with God through Jesus Christ. We have been blessed that we might be a blessing to the nations. And we do that 
by sharing with them the good news of Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we think about God's promise, God's peace to the nations through the birth of of Jesus as foretold to Abram, we have the opportunity to remember and reflect on our own salvation and the, the charge to go like Jesus before us to proclaim this good news that they too can be reconciled with God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. That through faith in Jesus, they may have peace with God. So through reflection on what Christ has done for us in his first coming, through active anticipation of his return, that we might be spurred on into a deeper worship and a more robust proclamation, that we might experience his peace more deeply and carry his offer of peace to a broken and needy world. Now as we close our time in prayer, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm going to pray for us, but part of my prayer is going to be praying over you a blessing of some of God's word and scriptures that remind us of the peace we have and the peace that we get to offer. So would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you sent him into this world, that through his life, his perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross and his rising to new life, that our faith in Jesus alone, Lord God, gives us peace with you and reconciliation with you forever. Lord, that you have become our peace. And Lord, we thank you for your scripture that foretells of this to Abram and the reminder, Lord God, that we are called not only to let go of certain things that we might receive you, but Lord God, we have been given this gift that we might be a blessing, Lord, that we might proclaim the good news of Jesus to the world. And so, Lord, let us embrace that well this Advent season as we both reflect on your first coming, Lord, and we anticipate your coming in your perfect kingdom. And we do that by engaging with it, by proclaiming the message of peace, the gospel of peace of Jesus Christ. Lord, we just want to thank you that your word guides us in this. Lord, as you said to your disciples and to us in your word, Jesus, you said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You remind us, Lord, that you will keep us in perfect peace, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. You encourage us by saying, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. For now the May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. My brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.